are listening to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, brothers and sisters, we're in Mark chapter 12, and if you have your Bibles, grab them and open up there. Our sermon text this morning starts in verse 38, and we're going to read through verse 44. So Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Let's give ourselves to God's word. And in Jesus' teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, and like greetings in the marketplaces, and have the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Father, would you bless the reading and the preaching of your word now? So we live in a world where there is a lot of deceit. You go, you sit down in front of your computer, you open up your email application, and in your inbox you receive an email from a deposed Nigerian prince. He's got this great offer for you. He's in a bit of trouble. He can't access his vast fortunes of wealth, but if you, if you will just send him, wire him $1,000, He'll be able to get his wealth and he'll share his wealth with you gladly. Seems pretty good. Well, this scam is dangerous as we think about it. You could lose $1,000, but it's, it's, it's easily avoided. You sit down, you read this email, you should get a good chuckle from it if you have your wits together and then you should delete it. But some deceit is very difficult to detect. Perhaps you've heard the name Bernie Madoff. He was a former Wall Street investor Some of the best and some of the brightest invested with his firm. Investors, professionals, banks, universities, and and Madoff duped them all. These people invested millions, billions of dollars with this guy, and he was running a Ponzi scheme. And these people lost millions and billions of dollars. This deceit was exceedingly dangerous. Some people lost everything they had. However, the most dangerous form of deceit is is self-deceit. And this scam is not perpetuated by a slimy telemarketer or a, or a foreign email account or a man dressed in a very nice business suit. This is when we scam ourselves. The book of Proverbs talks about self-deceit a lot. The book of Proverbs says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. What is the book of Proverbs saying? Well, saying this, the, the fool, while he looks like a fool and sounds like a fool to everyone else, and while he's traveling on the path of destruction and all the signs say, you're heading towards destruction, turn around, 
The fool has convinced himself that he is right. No matter what anybody says to him, no matter what anybody preaches to him, no amount of information he receives is gonna turn him away. He has created the greatest con. He's deceived himself. He's right in his own eyes. And Jesus is very concerned about deceit. He's very concerned about self-deceit as it pertains to discipleship. In Matthew chapter seven, the disciples of Jesus are gathered in front of him and he preaches these words to them. Listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are sobering words from Jesus. He's saying it is possible to confess the name of Jesus, saying, Lord, Lord, and yet not be a true disciple. He's saying it's possible to possess great gifts, casting out demons, and yet not be a disciple. He's telling us we can consider ourselves disciples of Jesus when we're in fact not. We can think we're first-rate mature disciples when in fact we're really not. We can be self-deceived just like the fool in the book of Proverbs. We think our own way is right. Now what we think about ourselves at the end of the day doesn't really matter because we can say all sorts of things about ourselves. We can believe all sorts of things about ourselves. We can think all sorts of things about ourselves, but only one word matters and that's Jesus's word. Jesus has a definitive word and at the end of the day, Jesus will say one or one of two things to you. He either will come to you and say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, or he will come to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. There's only two words he speaks at the end of the day. So we don't live by our own opinions. We can't. So our opinions actually don't matter. We live by the judgment of Jesus. And we find Jesus doing this work of judgment in Mark chapter 12 in the text that we just read. As Jesus teaches in the temple, he begins to cut through all the self-deceit. He begins to cut through all the posturing and the lies and the manipulation, and he renders two clear verdicts. Jesus looks at the scribes, and he says, they will receive the greater condemnation. And then Jesus looks at a poor widow and commends her, saying, she gave more than all those who are contributing. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he looks at the scribes and he says, here is a picture of false religion. And then Jesus looks at this widow and says, here is a picture of true religion, someone who's pure in heart. Do you see the difference between those who are self-deceived and those who are humble before God? And so we're in need of Jesus' words today. We need clarity about who we are and what we're actually like. And the good news is that we will get clarity by handling Jesus' words. And so that's what we're going to do together. We're going to handle Jesus' words and find out what they say about us. So we're going to ask two questions of our text as we pursue it. The first question is this. Why does Jesus condemn the scribes? Why does he condemn the scribes? Second question, why does Jesus commend this poor widow? So first question, why does Jesus condemn the scribes? 
So as we think about it, by all measures, the scribes were on top of the religious ladder in Israel. The scribes knew it, Israel knew it, and the scribes loved to reinforce it. So as we look at our text, we see this portrait of the scribes. The scribes, they, they spoke differently than the rest of Israel. These, were men, these men were men set aside for the law of God. They were trained in the law of God. The law of God was their expertise, and so when they spoke about the law of God, if you were listening to them, what would you do? Well, you would listen and obey what they said about the law of God. The scribes also dressed differently than the rest of Israel. Regular Israelites would wear colored clothing, but these men wore long robes of distinction in pure white, setting them aside from the rest of Israel. And these men were, were treated differently than the rest of Israel. When the scribes went out on the street or when they went into the marketplace, they were greeted. If you were at work, if you were milling around in the marketplace and a scribe came in with his, with his white robe on, you would stand up and you would greet them. You'd say, Master, Rabbi, Father. In essence, you would stand up and salute these men. Even more, when these men went to the synagogue, they received the best seats in the house. They were seated in front of the congregation. And when they went to feast, they always received the best seats in the house, even better seats than immediate family members. And so we can see these men were on top of the religious ladder. They knew it, and so did everyone else. But when we come to our text, we find that Jesus is not very fond of these men. Jesus says in verse 38, beware of the scribes. Jesus sees something very dangerous in these men. He's like a a father who turns to his young son and says, beware of that dog, it bites. Like a father says to his son, beware of that snake, it's it's venomous. Even more, Jesus marks these men off for judgment. Verse 40, he says, they will receive the greater condemnation. Now we only know the scribes from the gospels and in the gospels they're not portrayed in a very favorable light. So it's not a surprise to us that Jesus condemns them But if you were one of Jesus' disciples that day, or if you were there in the temple listening to Jesus, this would have been surprising to you. By all categories, these men were exemplary. But according to Jesus, they don't deserve praise, they don't deserve respect, they deserve condemnation. And so we ask our question, why does Jesus condemn these men? And we have to be clear, especially in our day, as we think about this question, we have to get this straight because we could get this question wrong. Jesus doesn't judge these men because because of their social position in society. We have to understand this. There is nothing intrinsically wrong with being a person of privilege and power. Just because Bob the scribe has a great education, wears a robe of distinction, is greeted in the marketplace, gets the best seat in the synagogue and in in the feast, doesn't make him a sinner. Jesus isn't principally concerned with the stuff. Stuff doesn't make us sinners. And when we think about doctrine, like the doctrine of God's providence, that he rules and reigns over all things, or the doctrine of creation, that God created stuff good, we're freed from this error. So we ask again, well, why does Jesus judge these men? Well, we have to listen to Jesus. Verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and light greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feasts. So we see it. 
The stuff isn't the problem. It's the heart underneath all of the stuff. Jesus judges these men. Why? Because they've set their hearts on long robes. They've set their hearts on greetings in the marketplace. They live for the best seat in the house. This is what these men are all about. Social advantage, social privilege. So if you remember back to Mark chapter 7, Jesus quotes Isaiah. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And that's what's going on in the scribe's heart. And we have to understand just how evil this is. These men were trained in the law of God and their whole social respectability within Israel was due to their expertise in the law of God. They used the law of God not for the good of religion, that they might love God with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their mind and with all their strength. They didn't use the law of God that they might love their neighbor as themselves. Nor, when these men looked into the law of God, they were not overcome with awe. They were not overcome with the beauty and the glory of God that they find in the scriptures. No, these men looked into the law of God and what did they find? They found themselves. These men used the law of God for their own furtherance, for their own name, for their own reputation. Religion was merely a tool for them. What do you use a tool for? I like tools. You use tools to get a job done. And so what are these men doing? Well, they love tools, and religion is their tool to advance their own fortune, their own standing. And you can be sure that when self-deceit, especially when it's connected to religion, when it's there, it's going to evident rotten fruits. And Jesus tells us some of the fruit that's going on from these scribes. Look at verse 40. Jesus says, they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. This is what self-deceit does. These men take advantage of the weakest in society. They devour widows' houses. What a picture to think about. They're gobbling up poor widows. What do they do with prayer? Prayer is supposed to be an act of piety where you humble yourself before God, but they, they turn prayer into a show for their own vainglory. And so Jesus comes to us and he gives us a clear picture of of false religion. At the heart of false religion is this, love of self, an ardent love of self. And everything, whether that be the scriptures or prayer or poor widows, is leverage for the sake of self. That's what these scribes are doing. And what makes this false religion of the scribes so dangerous is the matter of self-deceit. The scribes were not aware of their own rotten hearts. They thought they were exemplary, and they thought Israel would do well if they followed after them. But Jesus comes here in the temple, and he shows us that they're playing the fool, as the book of Proverbs says, the way of the fool is right in their own eyes. So we've asked our first question, why does Jesus condemn the scribes? Well, he condemns them because they're practicing false religion. And what is this false religion? Well, it's ultimately they just love themselves. They're using all of these things for the advancement of themselves. So we can ask our second question, why does Jesus commend the widow? So we've already received one surprising twist. Here are the scribes, those who are supposed to be on top of the religious ladder, and Jesus tells us they're deceived and they're gonna receive judgment. And now we receive a second twist from Jesus. Jesus comes along and he says, here's true religion and it's the most unexpected place. Look at this poor widow. And as we think about it, the scribes and this poor widow couldn't be more different. 
The scribes, they wore garments of distinction, this white robe. A poor widow, she would just be happy if she had nice clothing, a full set of clothing to wear at all times. The scribes, they were greeted as they walked about. They were saluted in the marketplace, rabbi, master, teacher. No one would greet the widow. She would just go about her business. The scribes received the best seats, but this widow would live a life of exclusion on the fringes of society. And and what does Jesus do here in our text? Well, he, he casts aside the scribes and he preaches to us, beware of them, don't emulate them. They are poison to you. And then he takes this poor widow, he lifts her up, puts her on a pedestal, and he says, here is true faith. Here is a true disciple. You would do well to follow in her footsteps. You would do well if you operated just like her. And so we need to ask our second question. Why would Jesus commend this poor widow? So let's look at the text. Verses 41 and 42, Mark lays out the scene. He says, And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So this is not a strange scene. This would happen all the time. There was this offering place where people of Israel could come and deposit monies for offering or for a free will offering or for sacrifices. And Jesus is looking at this common day occurrence and he, he sees something interesting. And he draws his disciples together and he, he points this out to them. Verses 43 and verses 44, Jesus explains, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. Interesting. And we say, hold on, Jesus. What are you talking about? This woman has given two small copper coins, but the rich have come and they've given large sums of money. I'm not a mathematician, but the, the rich have clearly given more than this woman. She's given two small coins. How can you say that this poor widow has given, outgiven all the rest? What's going on here? And again, we can't fall into the trap of stuff. We cannot judge the quality of someone's religion by how much stuff they have or or don't have. That's not Jesus' point. What makes this woman commendable are not her two coins, but the heart at work underneath the two coins. And so Jesus begins to explain his reasoning. He says, they all, speaking about the rich, contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. And out of her poverty, she has put in everything she has. Jesus makes clear the difference between the scribes or the rich and this poor widow. It was not a big deal for the rich to give away large sums of money. Their gift, giving a large sum of money, would not affect whether they would eat the next day. It would not really, in any essence, change the way they live their life the next week. They could give the large sum of money, receive praise in the midst of the congregation, And you would go on, but here is this woman. She gives out of her poverty. Even more, she gave all that she had, both coins. It's interesting the way Jesus tells this story. She had had two coins. She could have easily put one coin in the offering and put one coin in her pocket, and no one would have faulted her. She could have taken that coin later and bought a morsel of, of bread and had some food, but she throws both coins in. And we ask, if you're like me, well, how is she going to buy food for the next day? How is she going to secure her basic necessities? And, and here we find Jesus laying this woman's heart bare. 
This woman is not looking for social gain. She's not looking to to climb the ladder in Israel. She's not looking for the praise of man. She's not actually worried about tomorrow. No, her heart is set upon the glory of God. Her, Her heart is aflame with love to God. She gave and she doesn't look back. Jesus gives us a clear picture of what true religion is all about. At the heart of true religion is a heart that loves God more than anything else, even more than a meal for the next day. What Jesus does here in these two stories is he flips the script again, and he's done this so many times in the Gospel of Mark. He's told us, look at these little children. The kingdom of God belongs to them. He says, look at this Syrophoenician woman begging. Kingdom of God belongs to her. And he he does it again. He says, look at this poor widow, marginalized, helpless. She is an ideal disciple. Where others have failed, this woman presses forward in obedience and faith. We go back a couple chapters. We read the story about the rich man. And this man was, was promising. He came to Jesus and it seems like he's asking the right questions. He's asking questions about the kingdom of God. Well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He seems promising. He's concerned about the law of God. All of these I've kept from my youth, he says to Jesus. But then Jesus turns, preaches the gospel to him, and makes a demand. Jesus says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And what does this man do? He walks away sorrowful, for he had much. But here is this poor widow. She goes to the treasury She throws both coins in, all that she has. Here's true faith. Or remember back to Mark chapter 8, and Jesus gives us this call of discipleship. He preaches, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is saying you have to give up your life if you want true life. What does this woman do? She gives up her life, everything she had to live on. And so here we have Jesus' two judgments before us. Jesus condemns the scribes. Why? Because they practice false religion. And what is their false religion? They love themselves. And then Jesus commends the poor widow. Why? Because she practiced true religion. And what's this true religion? She loves God more than anything else. So we've answered our questions, but that's not the end of our work. We have to let these words search us out. And so we ask, what kind of people are we really like? And I ask you this morning, what kind of people are you like? What kind of person are you? Are you like the scribes? Think about this. You like the scribes who, who use whatever they find, whether that be widows or the word of God or prayer for your own glory, for advancement. Or you like the poor widow who has a heart aflame with love to God and throws in both coins. If Jesus were to draw near right now and give examination of your heart, what would he say about you? Perhaps today by the working of the word and the power of the spirit, We gain a little clarity about ourselves. Perhaps with the working of the Spirit, a a few rays of light break into our souls and we we start to see ourselves for who we truly are. I've been working with these words since Monday morning at 9 o'clock. 
And it's a long time to handle Jesus' words. The more you handle Jesus' words, the more they, they cut you up. And Jesus has been working on my own heart as I've been thinking about it. And, and, and Jesus has rendered his judgment about myself. As I think about myself, I'm a man with, with two feet and I have one foot in each one of these stories. I have one foot in the story of the scribes. They love self-advancement. And I look at my own life and I see that fruit all over the place. At the end of the day, I really do love myself. And this sin, I find it everywhere in my life, whether it be in public or private, whether it be in the pulpit or in the study, whether it be visiting or with my family, I really do love myself. But at the same time, by God's grace, I see that another foot has entered into the story of the poor widow. Somehow by God's grace, I see something in me that I actually do love God. I do want him to be honored above everything else. And I've seen a few times in my life when I've thrown both coins in the offering plate and I've not worried about what's gonna be on the table tomorrow. And the truth of the matter is that I'm a messy disciple. Jesus has saved me, but I'm yet sinning. And I trust that if the Spirit's been at work right now, you would say the same thing. Oh, I am a messy disciple. Jesus has saved me, but I still have a lot going on in my heart. And so we ask, well, what hope is there for messy disciples like us? Can we actually change? Can something be done for us? And we find help in the Gospel of Mark. For in the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells us this story and we meet these characters, the disciples of Jesus. And these men are just like us. They are men with feet planted in both stories. We see as we read the Gospel of Mark that these men have have one foot planted in the story of the poor widow. These men really do love Jesus. Jesus came to them and called them saying, follow me, and what did they do? They left behind their jobs and their families and lucrative tax booths. Peter himself testifies saying, we have left everything and followed you. These men love Jesus, it's evident. But at the same time, they've got another foot lingering in the story of the scribes. And it's evident as we read the Gospel of Mark that we we see this sin cropping up again and again. They're traveling with Jesus and we hear them arguing about who's the greatest. And then one of the disciples is concerned because he sees others not following with them, casting out demons, and they're worried about their exclusive rights and privileges. And then what happens? Well, they're arguing about Who has the best seats in the kingdom of God? Who's going to have a seat at Jesus' right hand? Who's going to have the seat at Jesus' left hand? And you can't miss it. These men resemble the scribes. Scribes are concerned about honor, privilege, glory, and here are the disciples concerned about the same things. And we can say that these disciples in the Gospel of Mark are really messy. They're saved, but they're still sinning. And there's hope for them and there's hope for us. And the hope for them and the hope for us is Jesus Christ. We have to remember it's Jesus who called these messy disciples to himself. And it's Jesus who walks patiently with these messy disciples. And it is Jesus who will die for these messy disciples. And it's Jesus who promises to sanctify and glorify these messy disciples. And as we consider our own messiness this morning, this complex mixture of righteousness and sin in our our hearts, I want to point to one particular way that that Jesus deals with messy disciples. 
And it's this. Jesus is faithful to preach the gospel to messy disciples. And we see this in the gospel of Mark. Again and again and again, we find him in this narrative preaching the unvarnished facts about the gospel to his men. Mark chapter eight, verse 31, Jesus is teaching them. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. In chapter nine, verse 31, Jesus says something similar. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Jesus isn't done yet. Chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus says. And the son of man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days, he will rise. So here's Jesus, he's with his messy disciples and he knows them intimately. They have their eyes set on glory. They have ambition filling their hearts. They want the best seats in the house. And what do these men need to hear? What does Jesus preach to them? Well, he preaches the gospel to them again and again and again, not once, not twice, but on repeat. They need to hear the bloody details. They need to understand his humiliation. They need to consider the great pain of it all. And what do we need to hear if the scribal heart in all of us is going to die, we need to hear this bloody, humiliating, painful gospel again and again and again. And the truth is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only word that can change a person's heart. It is the only word that can kill your sin and make you holy. So I ask, do you want to change today? Do you want to see sin lying dead at your feet? Do you want to leave the story of the scribes behind? And do you want to enter into the fullness of the widow's story? Do you want to make this transition? Do you want to move along in the path of discipleship? Then we have to turn to the gospel, for the gospel is the only word that can change us. And we have to set our eyes upon the Son of God if we want to change, the one through whom all things were made, the one who possessed by right of deity, all power, all wisdom, all beauty, our glory. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the beloved son of God who humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, concealing his glory and power, coming down from glory, coming down from heaven to serve that which he made with his own hands. If we want to change, we have to set our our eyes upon the Son of God who did not despise the cross but, but took it to himself, who did not turn away from pain, who did not shun shame, who bore in his body lashes and a crown of thorns. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the Son of God crucified, dying, bleeding, dead. We have to set our eyes upon the Son of God cursed. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the beloved Son of God laid in a tomb by himself. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the beloved Son of God raised in glorious power to life forevermore. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the beloved Son of God soon to come in glory and power. If we want to change, we have to set our eyes upon the beloved Son of God 
For it's only this gospel and it's only seeing this Jesus by faith in this present moment that we will find our hearts healed and transformed slowly, piece by piece, bit by bit. We are transformed by seeing his glory. Moment by moment, piece by piece. So as God's people, if we want to move from the story of the scribes and more fully into the story of the widow, we need to see this Jesus and we need to hear this gospel. And so will you look at this Jesus with me? Will you look at him with faith? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for the words of Jesus. We need his word. We're so thankful for his faithful ministry. He doesn't let us off the hook. He's not weak, he's not cowardly, but he exposes us for who we are. We're so thankful that you've cut us up this morning. We're thankful that you are a God who binds us together with the gospel. We ask now that you would change us as we behold Jesus by faith. We want to resemble this poor widow and throw both coins in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.